it's kind of it's almost a stereotype this phrase now but it's become so uh deep ridden in our uh dialogue as as e-commerce um entrepreneurs this whole idea of making people know like and trust you but it's because it's true we do need to make people know like and trust us or they're not going to buy from us i came at it from a brand first perspective not an e-commerce first perspective and by that i mean i was building a brand to solve problems for people like me uh basically create better fitness equipment that was affordable with no real strong brand and branding approach there's no hook there's no passion there's no connection with the customers there's no customer eagerly awaiting the launch of your next product and actually choosing not to buy a competitor's product because they want to have all of yours so on today's episode you're going to learn as to why building a brand is the absolutely core thing you need to do if you want to exit your business within any given time frame it's a great episode you do not want to miss so do stay tuned this is the 2x e-commerce podcast hosted by kunle campbell so welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Um, I'm your host, Kunde Campbell. On today's episode, we have Ben Leonard. Well, Ben is what I'll say is a friend of ours. Um, I have crossed paths with Ben several times and they've been all quite high quality interactions, I have to say. Um, if you have followed our journey up until now, you know I'm a co-founder, co-partner at Optillion Capital Partners. And we acquire good for you, essentially food and beverage and, and beauty brands or beauty skincare brands. Um, and yeah, Ben is in the ecosystem. And when the opportunity to speak with Ben, you know, came to to my my table, I was like, yeah, let's just freaking do it. Let's 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 really do it. So I'm going to give you a little babble about as to who he is. Um, so Ben is what you call the classic millennial entrepreneur. He's built a business on literally on a laptop, um, a cupboard and spare time. The only difference is that Ben grew an international seven figure business and successfully exited it in like three years. And not only that, he's gone on to, to found an e-commerce consultancy called Ben Leonardo Pro and, and also e-com brokers. This is how we cross paths. Um, where they uh, they essentially are an e-commerce um, you know brokerage for the sales of um, or sale of businesses or e-commerce brands. So yeah, um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ben to the show. Hi Ben. Good to good to be here. Thanks for having me, Kunle. It's uh, it's great to speak with you again. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Um, I probably haven't done your intro sufficient justice i would just like you to give us an idea of who who ben is you know who, who is ben and then we'll talk about what you do um, a bit later sure yeah well you know as you said i'm in the ecosystem right so e-commerce wasn't somewhere i imagined i might end up it was a bit of a a strange path in um so i I'm based in Aberdeen, which is the oil industry capital of, of the UK, probably the country, uh, probably the whole continent. And 
Aberdeenshire is a beautiful place, fantastic countryside. And so I became very interested in the environment. And I ultimately ended up working in oil and gas as an environmental advisor. It was my job to stop the oil guys throwing chemicals in the sea or, or help them comply with the rules was actually my job. But I got very sick in 2016 with a heart condition. Um, and I'm fine now. But I had to stop work for a while and I had to stop my fitness hobbies for a while. Hmm. And that's when I started a fitness brand as a hobby. Turned out I was quite good at it. Um, and ultimately, I quit my job, grew that brand to a point that we were doing about six million US dollars in annual revenue. And I sold it. And as you mentioned before, I'm consulting now. I'm still building brands now, so, which I think is really important because I think it's important to have current lived experience of what's going on in the ecosystem for me to help mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned their e-com brokers. And so I, I help e-commerce business owners plan and execute their exits. Um, and so those are kind of my two hats, the consulting and the, uh, the, the, the brokerage and building my brands is my third hat. Okay. So first off, glad you're, you're, you're better. You're all right. Um, that's, you know, they, they say like, you know, I'm still is forged in, 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 in fire, you know, it's, it's, it takes those moments, you know, those those, those moments to, to, to actually change um, just the trajectory of, of your life. Um, I want to get into the fitness, you know, story. This is my first time actually, you know, from the several conversations we've had in the past. Actually, my first time hearing about, um, you know, your your, your 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 ill health at the time and and how that gave you the energy essentially to to, to build out a fitness, you know, brand. Where else would you get that fuel from? Um, do you want to speak to essentially the first year, um, how you're essentially battling with, with an ailment, with, with, with mm. illness, essentially, and um, how that sort of balanced out on the other side by, by, by creating something? Yeah, absolutely. It was, a, it was a really strange time and, and, and obviously a difficult time because, you know, basically what happened was I got very unwell. And not just physically, but that impacted me mentally because I, I was feeling kind of useless. Like I wasn't working. Uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, was very busy studying. I couldn't partake in my fitness hobbies, which is was my way of de-stressing. Mm. And I was incredibly anxious to get better. And of course, the more anxious I was to get better, the worse things got, you know, mentally and probably physically too. Mm. And, you know, I think in entrepreneurship, very often, it you know, I... People sometimes wait for the circumstances to be perfect before they take action and do something. And I think that's what I, I had been guilty of doing because I had actually had the idea for my first brand, uh, which was called Beast Gear, um, back in 2012. And I did nothing about it for four years. You know, I was just stalling and making all these excuses about how oh, I, I don't have the experience or I don't have the funds or, you know, I believe that entrepreneurs were other people because I think that's what society generally has told us. Entrepreneurs are these these other very clever people um, and not us. And so it was when, you know, I was kicked into action. I was moping around at home, unable to work, tidied out my gym bag, looked at my gym kit, gym gear, my training gear that I wasn't using and remembered my idea from four years ago that I'd had while I'd been training for a fitness brand called Beast Gear. And so I started developing these products really as a distraction to give me something to get my teeth into and as I got better and my, 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 my wife and my parents encouraged me to do that. Mm. And over time, I discovered I had these entrepreneurial genes that just hadn't been turned on. Mm. And the more and more I 
I took action, the more I learned by doing. And I became uh, ingrained in this entrepreneurial lifestyle and it became my passion. And ultimately I ended up quitting my job to, to pursue that passion. Super, super interesting. What was your, at the time, you know, your, your daily routine like? How, how did it alter given the fact that you couldn't train anymore? You know, um, yeah. and what sports were you involved in? What your, your fitness regime like prior to, to, to falling ill? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was at school, I was the nerdy asthmatic kid who was last to be picked at PE. I was not remotely uh, sporty. It was when I went to university that I got interested in boxing, CrossFit, weightlifting. And I continued these things, and I, that is what I had been doing. And so then when I was unwell and I, I, I couldn't work, I couldn't train, um, at first my daily routine was uh, sit on the sofa and feel sorry for myself. But as I started to work on this idea, um, my daily routine was uh, drink a lot of coffee, <laughs> sit in front of my laptop, and, and, and got really fired up about this. And eventually, I was able to, to go, get back to work. And uh, I would you know, work my day job and evenings, weekends, lunch hours. I was grinding away on this, I, this, this, this vision uh, that, I was, that I was assembling. You know, people often talk about how um, or they think that e-commerce is some sort of easy get-rich-quick scheme. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's, it's a grind. And over time, it, it started, to, you know, I would sneak, I would sneak little bits here and there during my day job, which, of course, I shouldn't really have done. And then uh, finally, you know, the, the tables turned and I, I, I quit my job. But it was um, it was all consuming. And I was very fortunate that my 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 girlfriend was so understanding. Um, but also she was studying at the time. So she was super busy. You know, she was constantly mm -hmm. in the university library uh, and at work because she was kind of working and studying at the same time. So that meant that I kind of was off the hook unable to crack on and, and, and knuckle down on the, on the brand. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. And uh, what were yeah. the timestamps from the start to the, to the sale of the business, to the sale of the business? You said it was three years. When did you start from a actual year perspective? When, when did yeah. you buy and when did you, when did you start and when did you sell? I started in February, 2016. I remember cause I'd just been in hospital again and, yeah. and, and I'd been, you know, moping around the flat and I had the idea and I started researching and ultimately I sold my first product on the internet to somebody in June, 2016. Mm. And three and a half years later on Halloween, 2019, I sold the business. Mm. So it was a whirlwind three and a half years from nothing to an annual revenue of 6 million us. That's incredible. That's incredible. Was it entirely D to C or, um, multi-channel? It was multi-channel. So we were selling on Amazon and on our own website and uh, a very, very and, and this is, you know, negligible, but I, I think it's important because it was, it speaks to the, the connection we had with our, with our audience. Mm -hmm. There was a very small proportion directly into gyms because uh, gym owners had picked up our brand, the way that we were connecting with people on social and, and through our D2C website, they then reached out to me personally to, um, to, to place orders. And, and it was on those channels and it was in, in the UK, mainland Europe, and a little bit in Australia and the Middle East as well. Well, that's incredible for, for those numbers, given the fact that you hadn't even touched North America. Yeah. I mean, that was a mistake, uh, mm. which I, 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 I sometimes still think about and regret because I think if I had gone to the US, perhaps say a year and a half or so in, 
um, instead for for basically the same amount of effort, instead of doing six million a year, I think we would have been doing more like twelve million a year. Um, probably, probably more. Probably. Yeah. More. Speaking to um, th these guys are like data. The, the folks at Conjure yesterday. They're they're like a um, data analytics platform. They have hundreds, if not thousands, of stores. Like you know, um, just the the, the back end of, of stores in in, in their um, in, in their database. And one of the things I said yesterday is like, um, when you expand internationally um, from the UK, that is, mm -hmm. and you do America well, the UK tends to be just 25% of revenue. And that ma that's matched some of the, the, the data I've seen um, if America is doing well. And when you look at it from a statistics stand mm -hmm. standpoint, you know, like this podcast, for instance, um, like 60% of our audience is the United States, and then 20 is the UK. But yeah. in terms of just the five times bigger, you know, from a population standpoint in the States as compared to the UK. And yeah, it just, it just makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, my, the excuse uh, that I tell myself for not going to the USA, which is actually a really fair excuse, because we have to remember that, that I had no business experience, no product development experience, no marketing experience at this time. And I started this thing as a, as a as a as a hobby. Uh, the, the potentially, I would sell products directly into gyms, and then I realized that was a silly idea, and I could sell on the internet. Um, it's it, you know, it felt like the normal thing to do, you know, because I was a, I came at it from a brand first perspective, not an e-commerce first perspective, and by that I mean I was building a brand to solve problems for people like me. Uh, basically create better fitness equipment that was affordable. And it seemed completely normal and straightforward to me that if I was going to sell, I would sell to people, first of all, in the UK, because that's where I was. And that felt familiar and like a sensible place to, you know, get my feet wet. So mm -hmm. I don't regret starting in the UK because that made a lot of sense. But I do regret not expanding to the US uh, before I exited the business. That mm -hmm. said, the carrot on a stick for the buyer was the prospect of taking the brand to the US, which indeed they did. So mm. swings and roundabouts. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. So if you have been following my journey here on this podcast, you'll know that I'm a co-founder at Octelian a consolidator of digital-first, good-for-you CPG brands. We acquire CPG brands with the view of scaling them up. We currently have a portfolio of three brands, all powered by commerce platform Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage startup entrepreneur or IPO-ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control in every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin shits from Shopify's in-person POS or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. I remember the first brand we acquired was running on another platform with quite poor conversions. We made it a point of duty to get it migrated over to Shopify and our checkout conversions literally doubled. 
What I love about Shopify is its ease of use. I don't think there's any other e-commerce platform that beats its usability. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify's truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooke Linen, millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24 help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 all over case that is go to shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 to take your business to the next level today that is shopify.com slash e-commerce x2 Hey 2Xers, I want to take a moment to talk about a service that has made a significant impact on product launches for our e-commerce brands. It's called Tread. Tread first hit the market in early 2020 and has since become the go-to financing option for over 500 brands, including big names like Rosum. In just one sentence, Tread can be described as the ultimate solution for purchasing inventory, allowing retailers to sell first and pay suppliers later. As an e-commerce brand owner myself, I can't emphasize enough how helpful Tread has been for our business. Their unsecured funding and credit model, which takes into account the current financial health of a business, has allowed us to access financing without worrying about collateral. We've improved our cash flow by avoiding upfront supplier payments and freeing up funds. This has enabled us to invest in larger orders expand our product range, and even negotiate supplier discounts. And let me tell you, the flexibility is amazing. Tread offers a pay-as-you-go model with a flat and transparent fee, which means you only use it when you need to. No hidden cost or long-term commitments, just a simple and effective way to manage our inventory financing. The best part? Tread works independently of e-commerce platforms and requires minimal onboarding. It doesn't matter if you're a founder, CEO, CFO, or part of the finance team. Tread can be a game changer for your business. With taglines like sell first, pay suppliers later, and snooze your supplier invoices with Tread, it's clear that Tread is all about empowering businesses like ours to import the goods we need now while handling the invoice and allowing us to pay up to 120 days later. So if you're in the e-commerce space and looking for a smart, flexible financing solution, I highly recommend giving Tread a try. Visit their website on treyd.io. That's treyd.io to learn more and get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. I want to touch, you touched on the point on you took a brand first approach. Yeah. And that could have been the single most important strategic decision you made towards scaling, growing and scaling. It's, it's called B-scare, if, if I'm not you know mistaken. Yeah. 
Do you want to sort of unpack that, you know, for, for me um, or for, for the audience rather, um, because it's not many people that say sell on, on Amazon or people who start out in e-commerce think about yeah. brand first. They, they're thinking more about Shopify dashboards or, you know, what you're doing on, on like, sometimes they don't even think about bottom line. They're thinking about top line, you yeah. know, uh, initially. So, so to, to be a total newbie and focus on brand is quite unique in, in that sense. So could you break down why, how, and um, you know, what, what, what your approach is, please? Yep. So I think that the, in my view, the mistake that many people make, and particularly my competitors made as I began to basically beat them, is that they're, rather than taking a brand first approach, they're taking a make money on the internet first approach. But actually, if you go brand first, you will make money on the internet and you'll make more of it, in my opinion. Because with no real strong brand and branding approach, there's no hook, there's no passion, there's no connection with the customers, there's no customer eagerly awaiting the launch of your next product and actually choosing not to buy a competitor's product because they want to have all of yours. There's no customer placing their order and eagerly waiting for the postman to deliver their product. There's no tribe of raving fans who will buy all the new products that you launch, which means there's no longevity in the business. And I think a lot of people fall into a trap, perhaps it's because of seeing quote unquote gurus on the internet, that they can source products, slap a label on it, run ads and sell them perhaps um, on a Shopify site, on a marketplace like Amazon. These days there's Walmart as well in the US. It's true that you can do that, but you can do that and take a brand first approach, which in my view is far more effective because you're building the foundation on a much stronger basis in terms of longevity, uh, sustainability, and ultimately what is going to help you scale is quality products which market themselves because they're quality and a quality brand identity which people connect with and are eager to share. And that's ultimately also going to be incredibly attractive to a buyer when you come out the other end a few years later and you want to exit the business. All, you know, you're, you're speaking to the choir here. Fully agree with you. Um, I love your point on, you know, creating a brand that actually delivers the hook. You know, so yep. th there's a hook there, emotional hook there that links to a high quality product on the back end. Perfect. How do you do that in the world of Amazon um, with restrictions on actually communicating your soul, your, your brand essence to customers mm -hmm. where it's just essentially moving products from their warehouse out to, um, to customers. Where does the brand building actually start on Amazon off Amazon or, you know, on Amazon? Can you just break it down? please? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different things to think about here. It's important to, 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 to sort of go back in time slightly to when I started um, and slightly after when I started because there were pros and cons of selling at that time. 
The both were that uh, Amazon made it easier to contact customers. Uh, for example, in follow-up emails, um, customers didn't have the option to choose not to get them. For instance, Amazon was a bit more um, forgiving in the kinds of content that you include in those emails and the attachments that you could attach. Having said that, Amazon's uh, tools for brands back then, not as comprehensive. Now Amazon really wants us to focus on brand. There's brand registry, which is how you can protect your brand Amazon. Yeah. There are branded storefronts. There's even now a, a feed of images that you can post called Amazon Posts. Amazon wants us to build brands on Amazon. It recognizes the importance of brand. You know, these days, Amazon really wants you to build a brand. They give you opportunities to, um, to market your brand, to talk about your brand in terms of a branded storefront. Uh, for instance, um, you can, you know, a branded storefront differs from the rest of Amazon in the sense that the rest of Amazon is a, is a supermarket where you have to be content with the fact that your product is on the digital shelf next to somebody else's. But Amazon's branded storefront allows you to have like your own mini website there. So, you know, you asked about what comes first, Amazon or brand. Well, it's a two-way street. So let's imagine a hypothetical customer, Dave, hasn't heard of your brand. He just has a problem that he wants to solve. So he searches on Amazon for a solution to his problem. And your product stands out because its main image is compelling. Well, arguably that's to do with branding. So he clicks through and your listing is compelling. The information on there is helpful. The images are compelling and, and, and effective in conveying the features and benefits of your product. And the enhanced brand content is compelling. And then he looks at the reviews and they're strong because you have a quality product because ultimately you can't outmarket a crap product. So he decides to buy your product, but he hadn't heard of your brand before this. But now we have an opportunity to use Amazon as top of funnel to acquire a customer like Dave and make them know, like, and trust our brand so that next time they have a problem, instead of just searching Amazon for a widget that solves that problem, they'll come back to your brand. Maybe on your own website, maybe on Amazon. doesn't really matter as long as they come back to us. And we can do that by connecting with them. So Dave receives his product. It's a quality product that solves his problem. And because of the way you've packaged the product, because of the insert material you've put in there, and ultimately because he has a, a positive experience with your product, he feels compelled to seek out more touch points for your brand. Could be your website, your newsletter, your social media content, your YouTube channel where you provide helpful information that improves his life, makes him remember your brand, or even a podcast. You know, I encourage people to make podcasts for their brands these days. That can be a phenomenal way to constantly remind your customers that you exist and your competitors are asleep at the wheel in this sense. So, you know, that's kind of my approach to acquiring customers on Amazon um, and using it as top of funnel in that way. And I can then choose if I want to ask Dave to buy from me again on my own website or Amazon, um, depending on, on the activities of my brand at that time. Maybe I'm launching a new product on Amazon. I want to rank it. So I'll ask Dave to buy there. Or maybe I, 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 at this point, I just want more margin. So I'll drive him back to my website. Yeah, yeah. What I took away from, from, from your answer is one of the most important metrics of, of measuring the effectiveness of a brand is if or the portion of customers you have as repeat customers, you know, people who have been awed or um, essentially satisfied 
with their first interaction with your brand at so many levels, whether it's yeah. a product image, um, whether it's the social proof, um, whether it's the, 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 the unboxing experience and the, the actual utility of the product that triggers them to say, you know what, I trust this brand when I'm in the market for this or anything similar to this that they have, I will come back to them. Absolutely. And that's what it's okay. about. It's about trust. Fantastic. It's, it's kind of, it's almost a stereotype, this phrase now, but it's become so uh, deep ridden in our uh, dialogue as, as e-commerce um, entrepreneurs, this whole idea of making people know, like, and trust you. But it's because it's true. We do need to make people know, like, and trust us, or they're not mm. going to buy from us. Mm. Okay. So with, with that in mind, we, we get into the territory of, of retention. Um, so mm. let's step out of like the, the Amazon ecosystem here and essentially just look at a brand as a brand, like a digital native brand as a brand, you know, wherever you sell, whether it's Amazon or D2C or, you know, any other par partner marketplace or through affiliates, what, how do you essentially get more people you know, um, buying over and over again from from a from 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 a from a brand. I'm gonna say no, like and trust you again because that's what's mm -hmm. so important. Because once they've bought from you the first time, you have an opportunity to provide them with value to improve their life, so that your brand becomes synonymous in their mind with an improvement in this aspect of their life. Like, let's make up a hypothetical example. Um, you have a brand of uh, knitting accessories. They bought a product from you, could have been Amazon, could have been your own website, purely because they wanted a solution to their problem and they trusted you enough to do that. Now, when you provide them with helpful, compelling, engaging, useful, free information on the channels where they are, you need to show up where they are. There's no use posting on a channel where your audience isn't present. Hmm. But when you do that, they, whenever they now think of knitting, they think of your brand because you're showing up everywhere. You're top of their inbox with your really high quality email content. They're subscribed to you on YouTube. So they're getting, you know, a notification every time you produce another high quality, informative and helpful video. Mm -hmm. They might even be subscribed to your podcast if you've got one where you're not pushing your brand, you're just providing helpful content, but you're mentioning your brand gently. You get the idea. And you're obviously on their Instagram and TikTok feeds as well. When you do that, they are far more likely to then buy from you. And it's, it's again, it's almost cliched now to talk about this, but it's true. Gary Vaynerchuk wrote about it in Jab, 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 Right Hook. If we give, 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 then we can ask. So helpful, valuable information constantly and improves their life and occasionally asking for the sale. That, okay. you know, is the principle upon which I think repeat customers built. Okay. Um, what's, what's your take on like loyalty programs, email, SMS, yeah. and yeah. And, and direct mail, like, that trifecta. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of email. Um, in my view, email is the um, most profitable opportunity for e-commerce, which so many people overlook because it's, it's not shiny and new. 
it's been around for so long. And every so often something new comes along and people say email is going to die. It happened when chatbots came along. And I don't mean AI chatbots. I mean like um, Facebook Messenger chatbots, right? They came along and people said email's dead. And then WhatsApp chatbots came along. People said email's dead. And the, now, you know, many of these email marketing tools, let's, let's say Clavio, have SMS built in as well. People said email's going to die. And it, it simply isn't. People's inboxes mean a great deal to them. And if you can make them trust you enough to be in your inbox, not the spam folder, not the promotions tab, then there is a very, very good chance that they're going to buy from you again. And with the power of some of these tools like Clavio, being able to set up automations once and then pretty much forget about them to cross-sell, upsell your products, to remind somebody to replace a part or refill or simply to um, perhaps you know that the product's going to be worn out, you know, after, you know, 14 months or whatever, you know, to email them. Um, it is incredibly powerful what you can do. And if, if you get it right, you, you should be able to drive, you know, sort of a third of your website's revenue from email, in my view, and, mm -hmm. and about a fifth of it actually set and forget automated. That's what mm -hmm. I think is possible. Some people are even doing much, much better than that. Good point on on how overlooked it is. Um, just because it's it's all tech essentially, and yeah. you know people are not necessarily enthused about it. But there's something really magical about you know email. Sometimes it serves like as as a second search engine, particularly if you use um you know a, a, an email um, provider like Gmail. You know sometimes you're you're trying to research you know whether it's old coupon codes or whether it's just communications with a brand you know that has been sending you emails, but you've not really been ready to buy. So when you're like ready to buy, you might just go into your, your, your Gmail, search for that brand, and then, you know, click through essentially because you forget, or maybe sometimes you, you completely forget the brand name, but you know that they've been sending you emails about a particular thing. Say you're, you're, you, you know, um, it's, it's phone covers or something, you know, phone cases, and then you just type out phone case and Google, because that that brand had sent you so many emails in the past, you you just you know latch onto it, and and yep. then you, you you it's really top of mind. I also it think really is. email is is great for storytelling, um, for keeping people um, just on tab with with what you're up to internally. It's it's a good hub for for other media. Say you have an active YouTube channel, you have a podcast, you could all put that media um, into your whether it's like a, a newsletter, put it in and just essentially not necessarily necessarily sell, just just give using your jab jab using Gary's um you know jab jab hook you know um, analogy, and and then use it also for for the transactional bits of um of of of, of, of selling or, or e-commerce. What, what what's your take on on SMS working with with email though? Um, do do you think email on its own is is good enough, or um, does does um is is there an overhype with, with SMS at the moment? I think email on its own is good enough. I must admit I haven't done a, a huge amount with SMS, but here's what I have done, and I found it to be very effective. Uh, I tend not to do SMS in tandem with email. So of course, what you can do is actually you can have an email flow, for instance, and have a sister SMS flow that actually sends SMS messages to the same person. Uh, and if you choose, you can only send the SMS message if the email wasn't opened and things like that. That can be mm. very clever and powerful. However, uh, a really simple approach to SMS that I love is this, and it's for Shopify. 
Um, plugins, you know, there's plenty of these, but uh, there's a great one called SMS Bump, where you are it, the actual app is free, um, and all you are paying for pretty cheap is the text messages, and it's simply uh, an abandoned cart flow, but by text. I found that the ROI on that uh, was uh, phenomenal um, and actually more effective than abandoned cart emails. Um, Interesting. So I'm a huge fan of that. The conversion doesn't even necessarily come through phone. Like they, they get the text. They might click through and go and complete the order on their phone or, or they might just be like, oh, that's a great reminder. And then, you know, they're on their computer and off they go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a really, really good tip. Worth, um, worth Certainly worth testing. Certainly worth testing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Econ Broker, Mm. Um, the, the, you know, your, your experience with, 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 in, in the fitness industry, very, very admirable. You, I think you exited for, is it, what did you exit for? Uh, the exit was uh, slightly north of two and a bit, uh, a bit million. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. And was there like an earnout um, component to it? What, what was there the was, structure like yeah. in 2019? Yeah, there was an earnout component. It was a two-year earnout. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pleased to say it was it was hit uh, in its entirety, which is not um, something that has been common in the last couple of years in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some one fairly infamous lawsuit in particular, mm-hmm. um, which your audience may may or may not be aware of, where a seller basically sued the um, the institutional buyer of their business because yeah. they felt that they hadn't met their part of the, the bargain to run the business properly to even give it a chance of hitting its earnouts. And they were successful, um, which has yeah. had significant repercussions for the way that deals are structured and the language used in uh, share purchase agreements now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting, interesting times. That's that, that 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 is very, 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 very interesting. And, and given that they, they, they won... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so with what you do at Econ Broker, why did you start Econ Broker? Um, in- sure, yeah. yeah. Econ Brokers came to exist after the experience I had selling my first brand. Um, so the brokerage firm that I worked with, a large North American firm, um, in hindsight, I shouldn't have chosen to work with them. Here's why I chose to work with them. Um, it was early 2019 when I made the decision to sell. And you have to remember that, that in, in e-commerce years, it's kind of like dog years. That was a long time ago. And selling e-commerce businesses was not mainstream at the time. People looked at you like you were crazy if you wanted to buy an e-commerce business because it didn't have um, a roof or windows or doors. And so there weren't that many channels through which to sell an e-commerce business. I had had a friend who'd sold two relatively small e-commerce businesses through one of these listing or flipping websites. And in hindsight, I should... I should not have done that. Um, My options were relatively limited, but they basically treat your business kind of like a commodity um, rather than giving it the attention it deserves. And so they made a catalog of errors, the worst of which would have cost me half a million pounds if I hadn't spotted it. And this was, you know, all the way through their QA process. They were ready to go. So my accountant, Alison, and I tidied up the mess. Alison basically saved the day. She's got, you know, close to 30 years M&A experience, actually as well as being a specialist e-commerce accountant. So after we got everything fixed and we got the deal done, we kind of did the classic entrepreneurial thing of, of see a gap and fix it. Um, so we decided to, to create a better experience for e-commerce business owners who want to plan and execute 
the exit of their brand. And and by extension, it's actually a better experience for buyers as well, because mm-hmm. we are only sending them quality businesses that have been through mm-hmm. a process to get them where they need to be, to mm-hmm. be an attractive acquisition opportunity. So it's, it's more like an a la carte service, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, yeah. it's a white glove type, you know. Absolutely. Um, we're we're a boutique project. firm. Okay, yeah. boutique, so, which makes sense. It, it's it's not mass market. You've got to give us a hookup for for Alison. Um, you know, after the the call, we'll, we'll put a link to to Alison, your accountant, yeah. if if you don't mind sharing with the sure. audience. Sure. I mean, I can I can tell you now. Uh, mintaccounting.co.uk. They are, and I get nothing for saying that. I, I'm. They are just phenomenal in terms of their e-commerce capability. Mm-hmm. What we come across. Uh, at Econ Brokers, and I come across with my consulting all the time, is people who are working with decent accountants. Mm-hmm. But those accountants, even now in 2023, they know how to work with the butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker, mm-hmm. but they don't understand e-commerce, diddly yeah. squat, especially if it's complicated and you're on multiple channels and selling across multiple countries. So yeah, yeah I would, without hesitation, I'd say go check out Mint Accounting. Fantastic, fantastic. You know, I can, you know, I can just um, plus plus one what you just said with regards to so accountants not having that specialist, um, you know, e-commerce expertise mm. to to really provide you with clean data, um, which which is essential for navigating your business um, towards the path of growth. You know, um, yeah, been there, done that, and yeah, thanks for for the hook up there. So. Just going back, um, so so econ broker. So so, what is your um, what, what's your sweet spot with regards to, to deal size um, at, at the moment? Yeah, deal size tends to be a, a few million up to the the high teens of millions. Um, mm-hmm. That said, we've sold smaller businesses than that. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, smaller businesses are harder to sell. However, if they are a high quality business that's growing and has um, lots of growth opportunities, they can be sold. And I appreciate that sometimes people have. You know circumstances that mean that they're they're not willing to or ready to or able to to keep growing it, and they do need to sell it um, sooner rather than later. And we will take a look at at smaller deals as well. And if if the circumstances are right, we'll we'll, we'll do our best to help. What are green flags when a deal comes to your table? What what do you like to see in in a deal? Yeah, we like to see a business that has got twenty um, percent or better uh, SDE margins. 20% or better year-over-year growth um, that has got a legit brand identity with intellectual property around that brand has got a real um, connection with its customers, people who really want to continue to buy from that brand. And a business which has got uh, a full understanding of its supply chain and the credentials of its suppliers which is a well-documented business where we can uncover, you know, every stone and look in every nook and cranny to deeply understand it because the buyers certainly will be when they're conducting due diligence. That's really what we're looking for. Something that is built on a strong brand, profitable, growing, and has growth opportunity. Rock solid, rock solid, rock solid. And and how how often do do these deals you know come 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 on your table now in twenty twenty three? You know, the state of the market now compared to how it was COVID times has has really changed. Um, we are now doing you know a few deals a you know a quarter sometimes sometimes more like you know one. Um, 
And that's absolutely fine. We're working with great brands to sell them to the right buyer. Um, what that means is that we're very much able to be all hands on deck on these deals and give them the, the attention that they deserve to get them where they need to be. For some people, we'll work with them over a long period of time, you know, over a year um, to get them in the shape that they need to be. And for some people, it's actually a much, much faster process and, and we're ready to go to market, you know, very, very soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's just high quality. It's, it's quality versus quantity, you know, that volume there um, yep. that was in, in the COVID days is just not the aggregators also are um, yeah. either consolidating or shrinking. Absolutely. That's, that's our approach. So, we, you know, we're not, we're not a listing site or a flipping site. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's a mature M&A process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So who are the buyers now? Um, has the buyer profile changed over, over the, the, the last two years or last year? The buyer profile has changed in the sense that uh, many of the institutional aggregators um, stopped buying for a long time. Some of them collapsed, in fact. Uh, we've just seen another one uh, this week. Uh, Benetago uh, has filed for bankruptcy. Hmm. However, uh, some of the sleeping giants, uh, the likes of Thrasio, are waking up. Uh, we've seen a lot more buying activity in Europe uh, rather than North America recently, although you know North America is kind of picking up speed again now, which is which is great. But it's not just aggregators. You know, there are strategic buyers who want to bolt your business onto their existing setup. There's what I call big boy private equity buyers, you know, private equity directly buying businesses as opposed to um, just investing in the aggregators to do it. Mm -hmm. There's acquisitions by your competitors. Um, and then we're seeing quite a lot of these little micro roll-ups, high net worth individuals who want to do a um, their own little roll-up, perhaps more sustainably and with more attention to detail, more attention on brand than uh, these larger organizations. They've kind of let the canary go down the coal mine. They've seen the mistakes these guys have made, and now they're doing mm -hmm. a better job of it. Um, so that's the kind of the buyers that we're seeing. Yeah, super, super, super interesting, because going back to, your, to what we started this conversation around, which is all about brand, and looking at the approach most of the aggregators you know, took, there were numbers first, right? Yep. Um, they were consolidating PLs and, and balance sheets essentially, and these were cash flowing assets that they put a value in, and you know they essentially assumed ownership and were, were either operating it just as well as the the founders, and hopefully some of them were operating even better. Um, so from from that perspective, are they also starting to be a bit more brand focused or? Um, is it still still that you know numbers game? In fact, the very term aggregator, um, yeah. you know, just just speaks to 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 to, to what I just um, the point I was, I was trying to make. Yeah, it's you know so many of them. The, it, it it really frustrates me actually the way so many of them are. They would find a brand, and they would buy it. And then everything that the original owners did to make it an attractive brand that was a success in the first place that made them want to buy it, they would let go. It would just fall by the wayside, which is a real shame because it had a tremendous opportunity to learn 
from the original founders and cross-pollinate their portfolio of brands with all the effective strategies and tactics that were working. The buyer of my business was guilty of this, and I offered multiple times for free to teach them how to do what I did. I was fortunate that my earnouts were all hit because the flywheel that I had got spinning for my brand kept spinning. Plus, we had a bit of a spike from COVID. But then eventually, there wasn't enough to keep that momentum going in that flywheel. And, you know, it fell to bits because they were not nimble enough to do what I had been doing. And that's kind of where, you know, I, I write about this in my book. I talk about how as, a, as, as entrepreneurs, we have an opportunity to partake in what I call speedboat marketing. You know, this, this chance to be nimble, try new things, uh, switch direction very, very quickly. Whereas these huge behemoth bureaucratic organizations really struggle with, with that kind of thing, with, with you know, um, building relationships one-to-one with customers, with trying new tools, with, you know, turning on a sixpence um, when something isn't working. It takes them half a day to turn around. If they're, you know, they're like a cruise ship, right? Whereas we're a speedboat, we can just change direction, you know, however we like. Fortunately, many of these buyers have improved. They have learned the lessons and they've, they've spent a lot of time looking in the mirror and reflecting and getting better. They're still not perfect and they're not going to run the organization as nimbly as you, but hopefully they're going to have a ton more brute force than you so that when they buy your business, they are going to be able to, you know, take it on as they promised they would and take it to the moon. And I'm seeing a lot more of these buyers now really get creative with how they bring the original owner in either formally or informally and, and you know, um, pay them for that to uh, ensure that the, the original spirit of what worked for the brand uh, remains. Points, you know, um, the the very essence of the brand is what got the brand to the, you know, to, to, to sellability in the first place. So yeah, you know, why not retain that core while you start to figure out, you know, other cogs that um, can potentially continue to to give the flywheel enough velocity to to scale and you know eventually grow these these brands. So it's a very 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 good point. You did just mention a book. Yeah, the book. It's called "Quit Stalling and Build Your Brand." Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taken about whew, sixteen months to write this. Started in early twenty twenty two. It is a roadmap of timeless business principles applied to e-commerce. So what it isn't is it's not a sort of a how-to guide to using, you know, a platform like, say, Amazon or Shopify that's going to go out of date in, in a few months. It's, it's a roadmap from ideation all the way through to de- product development, brand development, product launches, growing and ultimately exiting from someone who's been there and done it. And it's my hope that this will be a a really helpful guide for someone who's either got an idea and hasn't started or who is going along with their brand and and building their business, but needs some support and guidance and perhaps just um, to come back to to, to the basics, uh, really, from someone who's been there and done it. You know, I want this to be something that's going to sit on every entrepreneur's bookshelf and they're going to take it down and, and and it's going to be, you know, battered and beaten because they're going to take it off their shelf, you know, frequently every year. Um, so, yeah, uh, quit stalling and build your brand. Um, 
full of examples from what I've done with my my brand and the new brands that I own and my my, my mm-hmm. clients. Uh, it comes out on October 10th, but if people go to uh, quitstallingbook.com, okay. uh, they can get uh, uh, a chapter now, um, mm-hmm. a free entrepreneurship uh, mini course, and a free e-commerce hacks ebook. Mm-hmm. In fact, if they go to quitstallingbook.com slash uh, 2XE, that's the best way to get those bonuses. So it's in the show notes for sure. I'm, I'm on it now. Unless your dream e-commerce brand now looks really, really good. Love the, the, the cover, you know, the your, your, with the cranes, you know, build your brand. Nice one, nice one, nice one. We'll link to it in the show notes for sure. Thanks, ben, um, we could we could go on and on. I, I, I can bet we'll, we'll go for the next three hours talking and chatting, you know, um, about M&A and e-commerce growth and brand. But it, it has been a pleasure, you know, having you just being respectful of your time. Um, for people who want to find out more about you, I, I have ecombrokers.co.uk. Um, are you active on any other platforms um, that you'd, you'd like the audience to connect with you on? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, love connecting with people. Um, my handle on all social media channels is Ben Leonard Pro. So I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for Ben Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to benleonard.pro slash YT, you'll find my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Benleonard.pro slash pod, you'll find the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to email me, it's ben at benleonard.pro. And uh, as you said before, if, you're, uh, if you are looking for support to plan your exit, then that's econbrokers.co.uk. And the book's at quitstallingbook.com. Fantastic, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Thanks so much, mate.